everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of Hidden Wings and Bloodlust, a podcast about ladybirds and ladybugs around the world. I'm your host, Rachel. First of all, I want to thank you if you've donated to the Palestine Museum of Natural History. It's a really worthwhile cause and very helpful for conservation and research, and for the mental health of people living in Palestine. I'm really hoping to have Muhammad and Marzen back on the show, as there's a lot more I wanted to ask them. And if you haven't listened to the interview yet, then please do check it out. It was really fascinating. My podcast recommendation for this week is Just Plain Wrong. Just Plain Wrong is a podcast by three Mennonite librarians who review films, books and pop culture and discuss depictions of the Amish, Mennonite and other plain groups. It's a very entertaining and funny podcast and gives an insight into a world I knew very little about. But some of what they talk about, such as cultural stereotyping, fetishisation, and inaccurate views about the religion and lifestyle is pretty relatable to me as a Jewish person. And a lot of their episodes centre on romance novels featuring Amish characters, but they've also discussed Amish Paradise by Weird Al and the film Witness, to name a few. And if I've just made it too serious sounding, it's, it's not. It's actually brilliantly funny. It's really entertaining, especially when they pick holes in the plots of various of religious-sounding Amish romance novels is quite hilarious, really. So go and listen to it. Now, originally, when I started thinking about an episode on ants and ladybirds, it was going to be part of one episode on predators or parasites. But ants are so interesting that they're going to get an episode to themselves. For one thing, they're not really a predator or a parasite. They're more akin to a farmer defending their livestock. and. Not all interactions between the two type of insects are as negative or as hostile as you might expect them to be. So if you ever look at a plant and see a whole group of aphids there, you will often see that there are ants looking after the aphids. The ants eat the honeydew. And if you've ever seen the Woody Allen film Ants, as I did when I was a kid, you might remember that the honeydew is secreted from the aphids' bottom. Ants are like farmers, basically. They farm the aphids who produce the honeydew that the ants eat. The aphids are kept clean and have fewer predators and parasites to worry about. They're very well fed and dead aphids are removed, which reduces the likelihood of disease. To an ant, ladybirds are like cattle thieves or like wolves trying to steal the aphids. And I want to say that humans aren't the only farmers with controversial farming practices that a aphid rights organisation or whatever the equivalent is might actually object to here. Some species of ants control the aphids that they're in charge of through chemicals in their feet and they stop them running away. They've also been known to tear the aphids' wings off to stop them flying away and depriving the ants of a food source. However, there are some aphids that have evolved a dependency on ants, a lot like many domesticated animals wouldn't really survive in the wild. There are even some aphids that actually can't excrete anything, can't go to the toilet without the ants stimulating their abdomen to get the honeydew from them. Maybe not the best life if you're, uh, if you're an aphid in, in some respects. In some cases, when the ants are short of food or the aphids are getting old, the ants themselves will eat the aphids. Some soft-bodied scale insects will fulfil a similar role. They'll produce honeydew from the sap and in the same way that happens with the aphids, the ants will eat the honeydew and will drive away plant-eating insects competing with scale insects for food. 
This could include weevils and other plant-eating beetles that might be competitors for food, as well as shield bugs and other insects. They'll also chase away any predators that want to get them, such as parasitic wasps or ladybirds again. Ants are a fascinating group of insects. They're part of Hymenoptera, and this includes bees and wasps as well. And like many species within that order, they've got a very complex social structure. Different ants within the colony will be part of different categories, such as drones, workers, queens, soldiers, and so on. And different worker ants will be given different jobs to do. They might be cleaning out the, uh, the nest, or they might be gathering food, or they might be defending the nest. It can be very, very complex indeed. So we're going to start off by talking about the common black ant, Laceus niger, which if you live in the UK, you might have in your garden. It's also found in parts of Africa, America and Europe. Despite their aphid farming activities, ants aren't really that much of a pest. They dig tunnels and they help to keep the soil aerated. They also help to break down compost and they sort of consume decaying plant material. But... As you can imagine, given the aphid farming that they take part in, ladybirds really aren't the garden ant's favourite insect. So I've seen common black ants attacking ladybirds and even taking a newly emerged ladybird's wings off, which is a bit tragic to see. But like any farmer, what you've got to remember is they'll want to keep their livestock away from threats. And ladybirds are a pretty big threat to aphids. Garden ants will attack ladybirds by biting them and squirting formic acid at them. They'll also do things like put their antennae under the ladybird's wing to get it to fly off. And occasionally they'll carry them back to the nest. If they're newly emerged, or if an ant is attacking a larva which has just molted or which is quite young, the ants can kill the ladybird. But it's usually quite unlikely that any ants will be able to kill an adult ladybird unless it's uh, just come out and its body is still hardening after it's been in the pupa. Ladybirds typically release reflex blood if they're threatened, and as well as the ladybird being bitter-tasting, the blood is often very thick and it impedes the ant's movements, so it slows them down and they have to clean the uh, reflex blood, the fluid that the ladybird releases, off their antennae so that it can do proper ant things again. So let's look at another type of ant, the yellow meadow ant. If you live in the UK, these ants will turn up in your garden if you don't cut the grass anymore, or don't cut it very much, like if you've been participating in No Mow May, and you're also quite likely to see them in parks and fields. They make raised ant hills in the grass and sort of mounds. They're slightly smaller than the black garden ants. They breed aphids as livestock, but they're less likely to come across ladybirds because they breed what are called root aphids in their nests. But they do, however, have a very interesting relationship with a large blue butterfly, which also likes to eat honeydew from the nest. And the caterpillars of these butterflies can really end up hijacking an ant colony. And if you check out Macken's uh, Species podcast, there's a very, very interesting episode on that butterfly. So go and listen to it if if you've got time. Another type of ant that you might find in the garden is the red ant, or the European fire ant. These are quite large ants, between 4 to 6 millimetres long, and be careful if you find one because they can actually sting you quite badly in some cases. The ants, if you live in the US or Canada, 
they're classified as an invasive species. So if you live in those areas and you find one, then please contact the authorities on advice on what to do. But if you're in the UK or Europe or Asia, then not to worry because they're native species. And again, they farm aphids. So a ladybird is not really going to be top of their sort of uh, friendship or Christmas card list or, or anything like that. So not all ants are going to have an issue with ladybirds because not all ants actually farm aphids. For example, the leafcutter ants in some parts of the world take leaves back to the nests and they use the leaves to grow fungi. They sort of ferment them down and, uh, and grow fungi on these leaves. Army ants will clean up the forest floor in some parts of Africa. They're a predatory species of ant and they'll often take small mammals or things like that if they're, if they're sick or injured. But they won't specifically sort of um, compete with ladybirds or anything like that. They might sort of take away a dead ladybird or something, but it's not. they don't compete over aphids because that's not what they do. There are some ladybirds, though, that have evolved a special relationship with ants and are seldom found without particular types of ants in the vicinity. In the UK, the best-known one is the scarce seven-spot ladybird. Having a special relationship with ants is called myrmecophily, and an insect that's got a special relationship with them is called a myrmecophile. This comes from the Greek word myrmex, which means ant. But there can be several possible different relationships. There can be a symbiotic relationship, as with the ants and aphids, both species get something out of it. There can be a commensal relationship where the ants aren't harmed, but the other insects benefit from their association. Or a parasitic one where the other insect does actually harm the ants. A ladybird might develop a myrmecophilic tendency because the aphids that are being looked after by ants are probably better fed and they're in a better state, they're more free from disease and so on, and they're also a much more reliable source of food being kept in one place. In the case of the scarce seven spot, this ladybird might actually not do that much harm to the ants, but the fact that it's hanging around the ant colony does mean that some aphids will inevitably get eaten. The scarce seven spot is found in woodland, where there's a high number of red wood ants, or Formica rufa. It is always found within a few metres of their nests. And remember earlier on, I described how ants will usually attack a ladybird and sometimes even kill it. In the case of the scarce seven spot, the ants will often completely ignore the ladybird. The ladybird has got an ant repellent fluid in its reflex blood, which encourages the ants not to approach. And in the event that they do approach it, both the adults and larvae will completely ignore any attack that the ants carry out, including bites and the spraying of acid. Failing that, they will run or fly away, clamp down or perform a range of other defence mechanisms. Interestingly enough, in some parts of Europe, the scarce seven spot does actually behave more like a normal seven spot and doesn't have such a strong association with ants. It's been found that the chemicals in the blood of the scarce seven spot include hippodamine and especially convergine, which are both much more repellent to ants than what the seven spots got, which is coccinelline and precoccinelline. So that encourages the ants to stay away. So it's thought that the scarce seven spot might have evolved in association with ants because of a shortage of prey at some point. 
Usually, a normal seven spot will only go for ant-looked-after aphids as a very, very last resort because of the risk of being bitten or coming into some sort of conflict. But in this case, being associated with ants and getting a food source that no other ladybirds want to access does actually reduce competition. So it means that there's more aphids for the scarce seven spot. However, many larvae do find an aphid and carry it away before the ants will get it back. And that, even though they've got all these defence mechanisms, does reduce the likelihood of conflict. It sort of means they're extra safe and secure. And another big advantage to this scarce seven spot, learning to associate with ants so much, is that both Adults and larvae are parasitised or eaten far, far less when there's loads of ants which they can associate with and they also seem to get fewer diseases as well. This might actually be because the ants keep their environment clean and they kill or drive away particular threats before they get to the ladybird. Ants will often kill or attack parasitic wasps and other parasitoids which might be trying to get close to them. Even if they're not actually a direct threat to the ants, they will drive them away and um, sort of reduce occurrence in that area. There's one of the UK ladybird which is frequently found alongside ants, and that is the ant's nest ladybird, Platanaspis lutea rubra. Like the scare seven spot, this ladybird is not a common garden visitor. As an adult, the ant's nest ladybird doesn't actually have such a strong association with ants and while it might prefer being near ants, it will basically eat aphids anywhere. However, the larva is quite unusual and flat. It looks very different to any other ladybird larva in the UK and it is found in and near ants' nests. It will release chemicals which look just like those of the aphids the ants are farming so when an ant taps the larva with its antennae it will think that it's an aphid and then it will just carry on about its business. But of course, it's not an aphid. It is, of course, a ladybird. And I think you know what will happen after that. The larva has evolved to be much flatter than a typical ladybird larva. And it has fine hairs all over its body. And it's very wide. According to a paper by Amelie Vanto, the ant's nest ladybird has a number of adaptations to reduce the danger from the ants. Quote, they are all ovate and flat with expanded marginal setae, which are sort of bristle-like hairs on the side of the larva, and short, stout legs. Another ladybird species, Diamus thoracicus, has a similar body shape when it's a larva, and the adult ant nest ladybirds have fine hairs on their elytra as well. However, it does lack other adaptations, which could protect it, such as a waxy coating. Unfortunately for the ant's nest ladybird, unlike the scarce seven spot, some studies have actually found a high rate of parasitised ant nest ladybirds, suggesting that protection from being eaten or being parasitised might not be a significant factor in why they evolved this lifestyle. So in terms of stopping themselves being eaten, although they're doing their pretending to be an aphid and all that it's not really helping them not be eaten so there's got to be another reason why this uh, tendency has evolved there are two types of inconspicuous ladybird in the uk simnus interruptus and simnus nigrinus 
which do have a tendency to go for soft-bodied scale insects being looked after by ant colonies, such as those of garden ants. The level of competition is reduced, and there is a reduced danger from parasites and predators. The ladybird larvae are protected by their waxy coatings, which the ants are usually unable to remove. In both North America, South America and the Pacific, there's another ladybird called the globe-marked lady beetle, which, during the time it's a larva, is also protected by a waxy coating. If an ant bites into the larva, it's not that much of a good idea because it's then got to spend all its time cleaning the wax off its jaws. It can't eat, it can't do anything until the wax is cleaned off. So that's how the ants are deterred from biting these kind of ladybirds when they're young. The waxy coatings and chemical signals disguise the fact that the ladybird is a ladybird and allow it to basically steal the ant's food from under its nose. Now this next ladybird ant association, this is something I actually found absolutely fascinating when I was researching this episode. I was not expecting something like this, so buckle up. In North America, there's a number of ladybirds from the Brachiacantha genus whose larvae live underground and eat the aphids and scale insects that the ants are keeping underground. Now, this includes the four millimetres long orange spotted lady beetle. So, a few weeks ago, on the Steel Blue Ladybird episode, I talked about how there's actually two different types of orange spotted lady beetle. Well, consider this the third type. So, in some cases, the ladybird larvae are actually fed with aphids by the ants. And nobody knows what, if anything, the ants are getting out of this, or whether they're just being tricked by the ladybird. With two species, such as Thalassa saginata and Dimus thoracicus again, the ladybirds mimic the chemical signals of ant larvae and are therefore able to avoid being attacked. The adult ladybirds don't feed anywhere near the ants and occupy a different environmental niche, a lot more like a regular ladybird. Another ladybird, Thalassa saginata, has an even closer association with the ant Dolichoderis bidens. These ants make their nest in trees. Both the larvae and the pupae develop inside the ants' nests and are given shelter by the ants. These ladybirds mimic the appearance of ant larvae and it is thought that they are actually eating them. So not only are they eating aphids that they're fed by the ants, they're also eating the ant babies themselves, which you've got to feel a bit bad for the ants in this scenario really, don't you? According to a paper on the topic, the larvae are highly attractive to the worker ants in the colony, which constantly lick them for their sort of anal secretions, don't ask me why, and keep them clean. The ladybird larvae are carried around the nest as if they were ant larvae, so basically if there's any danger, if the ant's nest is disturbed for some reason, if they've got to relocate or like take them to a different location or whatever within the nest, they're sort of treated as if they were ant larvae and the pupae are often cleaned and tended to by the workers. But when the adults emerge from the pupa, they're immediately attacked by the ants. And so to minimise the risk of this happening, the ladybirds will stay inside the pupa until their wings and body have completely hardened 
so they won't have any sort of soft um, soft components to their wings or anything that could be easily uh, grabbed by the ants. And at that point, when their sort of elytra has completely hardened up, only then will they push their way out of the pupa and exit from the ant's nest as fast as possible. So in this episode so far, I've talked about the fact that ladybirds often get attacked by parasites such as parasitic wasps. Well, so do ants. And in particular, they get attacked by forward flies. If the ants have got to contend with these flies at the same time as they're being besieged by ladybirds, then the aphids are more vulnerable to attacks. And ladybirds will often take the opportunity to lay eggs during the period of increased fly activity, when a lot of ants are being parasitised or killed. But there's a negative aspect to this as well, because when the number of ants decreases, the ladybirds are more vulnerable to predators and parasites, which are usually deterred by the ants. There are at least five different ladybirds known to eat ants. There's Bucollus fornetti, which is a small, hairy ladybird which lives in Australia. There's Ortalia palins, which feeds on ant larvae and sometimes adult ants as well. There's Simnodes bellus, a black, hairy Australian ladybird. And, of course, Diamus thoracicus, which is brown and comes in a variety of different forms, some with spots and some without. There's also a type of ladybird in South Africa, which looks very unusual, called the blue-eyed ant-munching ladybird, Ortalia acracia, and it's pale brown and it's got these very striking blue compound eyes. The ladybirds will usually feed on ant workers and will stay still while they wait for their prey to approach. And it's thought that the ladybirds evolved to eat ants rather than aphids from already existing Myrmecophilus lifestyle. Because the dependence on ants restricted their habitat, it also restricted their food source and made it necessary for them to diversify their diet apart from just eating aphids. So it wasn't really that long before they started going for ants themselves. One benefit of eating ants as opposed to aphids is that ants are available year-round as a food source. They don't always hibernate or go into dormancy, so the ladybird will easily be able to find something to eat, whatever the time of year. And I've mentioned at the start how ladybirds will be attacked by ants for trying to eat their aphids and scale insects. But in general, this isn't really attacking for food, it's attacking to get them away from the aphids. But there are some ladybirds which actually get preyed upon and eaten by ants. For example, the so-called big-headed ant, Phaedoli megacephala, will eat the larvae of Cryptolamus montrusi, an inconspicuous ladybird often used as a biological control in greenhouses. And it will also eat Asia orbigera, the globe-marked lady beetle. So, what are the advantages of a close relationship with ants? The ladybird will be protected from parasites or diseases a lot of the time. And there's also, as I've already mentioned, the possibility of a reliable food source which stays in one place and is kept there by the ants. Competition from other ladybirds is also reduced because most ladybirds will keep away from um, ant, like ant-monitored aphids. But the disadvantage is the ladybird does actually risk being attacked by ants unless it's evolved quite effective deterrence or defence mechanisms. Another point is, if a ladybird has adapted to living alongside ants, 
it might actually struggle to survive without them. And if something happens to the ants, then the ladybirds will also be affected. So if an ant's nest is destroyed or the ants are struggling to survive, the ladybirds will also um, find it hard to adapt. So no discussion of ladybirds and ants would be complete without mentioning the way that they've interacted in the world of films and books. In the 1998 movie A Bug's Life, Dennis Leary plays Francis, a male ladybird who is constantly being mistaken for a girl. He is a clown in a flea circus and actually plays a drag queen as part of his act, which just leads to him being thought of a girl even more. The film has got an ant called Flick as its main character. And there's also a French animation called Minuscule, Valley of the Lost Ants, where a ladybird gets put in a box and sent to the Caribbean by mistake after trying to help his black ant friend who is being threatened by a group of red ants. His dad tries to rescue him, accompanied by a group of ants and ladybirds, but soon realises that on the island of Guadeloupe where he's been sent, all of the insects face a much bigger danger. I also found, while researching this episode, a story called The Fable of the Ant and the Ladybug, about an ant who has a rude awakening about what his ladybird friend actually likes to eat. The ladybird lays eggs near the aphids, and the ants think the eggs are beautiful, they think it's like a golden globe thing, they, th- they think it's amazing. And the moral of the story is that what we can consider our greatest gift can actually cause the greatest amount of damage. So this was actually a really big topic. It took me a lot longer to research than I was expecting. And there are no doubt some ladybird and relationships that I've missed out. As ants are so important and common in the insect world, it's no doubt that many species have needed to adapt to their presence. And indeed, ladybirds are not the only species of beetle that has adapted to life with ants in this way. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like this show and want to support me, you can buy me a coffee at Kofi. Go to www.kofi.com slash hwabpodcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at hwabpodcast or on Instagram at 365.ladybird. You can also follow me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want, leave me a review. Music at the start of the show is by Deborah Torrance. See you next time and goodbye for now.